So hey, Chris. Hey, John. And welcome to Saul Searching, the podcast where we recap Better Call Saul, the AMC spinoff of Breaking Bad. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the fourth episode of the third season. This is called Sabrosito. It was written by Jonathan Glatzer and directed by Thomas Schnauz. So Sabrosito uh, is the title of the episode, but I was not sure if, uh, how that came up in the in the show. Uh, I... I I googled it, and it it uh, just means tasty. And uh, uh, was that the the name of the of the bobblehead uh, uh, ice cream icon guy or or little mascot? It's unclear whether that's the name of the character or whether that's just like a nickname for a a delicious sweet treat or something, or or kind of like something diminutive that Don Eladio is throwing out at that moment to kind of characterize the bobblehead when he's talking to it. But it okay. does appear to be sort of a reference to the fact that it, it's an ice cream shop. And maybe, yes, maybe that is a general nickname that you and I aren't aware of that you would use for any sort of... Tasty treat or something. Would you say that to a sweet little kid as well? Right, like sweetie. Right, exactly. So now we know the, the meaning of the name of the restaurant is the Winking Greek after... Don Eladio. Yeah, the actual restaurant is called like El Grigo Guliador or something. I don't have it in front of me. And I remember last year we were confused about what the name of it was because it was even hard to find a shot where you could read the full sign to see what it was named. Now we know finally what that is all about, that that was an attempt on Hector's part to sort of appeal to Don Eladio and, and flatter him by naming yeah. something after him. Right. Um, and I did do a little digging around, and I guess it is part of Don Eladio's background that he's Greek. Apparently so, but he does not like to be depicted as a little round ball character. It's not flattering to him. Don Eladio really, really stuck it to Hector in that opening scene, both in terms of, you know, pointing out that he didn't bring as much money and that it wasn't packaged as nicely and that, you know, you gave me this little bobblehead that I'm vaguely insulted by and and, and Balsa brings me this T-shirt that's a nice fit and look how nice it looks on me. All this stuff felt so, you know, so high school in a way. But it all refers so much to... Um, stuff from Breaking Bad for people who don't know. Uh, we've seen all this backstory with with uh, Gus uh, down here in in Mexico at Don Eladio's swimming pool, and uh, I kind of had to go and and refresh my memory by by reading old recaps to to uh, remember Gus's whole you know kind of life story and put it together again. So anybody that's curious about that. Uh, kind of go out and and uh, look that stuff up, or or watch uh, watch all of Breaking Bad again. I don't know. Skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want elements or events from Gus's story on Breaking Bad to be spoiled for you. But um, one thing I thought was neat was the throwback to that the last time we saw Don Eladio, he was floating face down in his pool, and in this one, the first time we see him, he's jumping into the pool. But it's a similar sort of shot of him, right? You know, right face down in the and, pool. And then getting out of the pool. So, yeah, emerging from the pool and, and ultimately ending up in the pool. And then the other thing would be that, because I did a similar sort of refresher and had to be reminded that it wasn't just like a disagreement. When 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 Gus and his partner Max go to Don Eladio's to sort of, I guess, they're, they're trying to become part of the cartel at that point. Mm -hmm. and, and he is sort of like saying, you are on my radar, now come meet with me. 
um, you know, and they want to be part of this, but it's also a little bit of a lesson for them that you don't just creep onto the radar of someone like Don Eladio by infringing on his turf without there being some consequences. And so that is when Hector puts a bullet in Max's brain, uh, that being Gus's partner. And it's vaguely alluded to that there, there's a romantic connection as well as just a, a professional connection mm-hmm. between the two men. But obviously because of the world that they move in, they can't be too open about anything like that. But in this episode, specifically, Hector, when he sees the Los Poyos Hermanos t-shirt, he says uh, more like the Butt Brothers. Right. I guess it kind of limits our ability to fully sympathize with Hector in this scene because we're being reminded of what a what a you know nasty guy he is. Well, that makes you wonder too, though, if, uh, I mean, they could come out with more information about that if they want to, on Gus and, and his, uh, we know he has some secret past. He's from Chile, but nobody knows really who he is or something weird like that, right? So maybe, the, you know, maybe he came out and it was a, a disaster and he had to leave his hometown. Yeah, at some point he and Max came to Mexico to start Los Pueros Hermanos, and at some point thereafter they began their drug distribution. I find it kind of interesting that now we're looking at Gus the same way we looked at Mike when he started kind of spilling into this show when we started seeing Mike's story mm-hmm. well like that opening scene with Hector and Don Eladio how quickly my sympathy went to Hector for being kind of made fun of in this way yeah even though I know he's detestable and then once we see Gus in this episode and we see him being beset by Hector who comes in and intimidates Gus's employees and sort of takes over the restaurant yeah and you sort of put yourself in Gus's shoes and you take a step back and you're like oh but wait a minute I know this guy you know, he might be nice to his employees, and he might cut the figure of a nice man in the community, and you might want to give him credit for that. But think of the people whose lives he's destroyed. Right, right. No, I think the show is like that, and with Chuck as well. There's just no plain old evil people. You can you can think about that and try to relish, ooh, he's such a bad guy, but they're constantly showing you how much sense it makes from his point of view to do what he's doing. But yeah, I would say the text of that first scene was... Hector and Gus have a rivalry that goes back, and it keeps going back and forth, and and so there is already bad blood between them And when this recent turn of events has happened, which is to say that with Gus's go-ahead, Mike, you know, put the kibosh on a major shipping route for Hector, if not his sole route, I don't know, for getting yeah. drugs into the country. Right. And and now Hector has come calling to Gus. Yep. Whether Hector suspects that Gus had anything to do with it or that he just thinks his men screwed up or he thinks it's a fluke circumstance or whatever, but clearly Hector has no qualms about uh, making his problem Gus's problem. I felt and, bad for uh, Lyle, the assistant manager who is in there and <laughs> trying to just be a regular stand-up guy and say, should we call the cops? Or You know, he's just uh, seems like a... A sad, naive person who who uh, who knows what you know horrors could befall him if he's not if, if he ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time. But if they just cast him for this episode and created him for this episode, I like how much he evoked a type that I f- I feel very familiar with. If you've ever worked retail or at a fast food place, um, you've known these perfectly all right people who are really all about the company and and they love the manager of the place and they really admire them and they're trying to do a good job and they know the rules. I just like that idea of that character because you could tell in the group of people when when Gus was talking to his employees in a, in a speech that even though I knew it was probably more than half bullshit, I still was moved by the person that Gus 
pretends to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like the fact that he pretends to be this good man, he does such a good job of it. I was I was seeing him through the eyes of his employees, and they all sort of seem to appreciate the 24 hours of overtime and the offer of counseling, and it all seems very mature, the way he's explaining his, his own mistake, you know? Yeah. Um, but I love that when he finished the speech about America and how this can't happen here, that everyone's sort of nodding their head, but Lyle like opens opens up the applause. Right, he, he starts right. clapping, and you get a sense that okay, I know that guy. I've been in meetings with that guy where there's somebody who's like a cheerleader for the manager without necessarily right. being a bootlick. I mean, I don't think he was like Dwight Schrute. They're just actually into it. They're like, I like this company and this place. Right, it's a good job. And if you were to say it's this place sucks, he would say, "Mr. Fring works hard. Aren't you going to work hard too?" You know what I mean? Like it would yeah. be that that and again, I would part of me says, "Okay, that person is a comic foil." And another part of me says, "Yes, it's a great little bit of character building for um for some later use." So who knows? But he doesn't know what bad men these are and he just kind of thinks, "Oh, this is something's weird going on. Maybe we should call the police or whatever." But I, I like how there's other people in the restaurant who just kind of immediately know uh, let's leave right now. <laughs> you know, let's let's kind of move towards the door. Now would be a good time to get our refills and get out. <clears throat> right, right. Just they can they can tell the bearing of these people is like you don't want to stay in this establishment right now. Something that struck me is that uh, after all this goes down, Hector intimidates him and and makes his demands, and and then Gus is alone. He's cleaning up the restaurant, and then he he turns around and makes a basket with the trash in the trash can which just seems like an odd little thing, but, you know, everything is significant on, on this show, and it kind of struck me as, uh, well, you know, Gus is just uh, kind of shows you how unfazed he was by this, or maybe even a little triumphant, like, hey, uh, uh, this is going the way that I want. You can either think, Gus, this is all going according to his master plan, and and he's so glad that it appears to be working beautifully, because... Uh, uh, Hector seems to think he's got the upper hand, and this is great, and and I this is exactly what I wanted. Muhu ha ha ha. Right. Or it could be, you know, I might be able to make use of this. Yeah. I got the sense that he has lots of contingencies for how to respond to Hector, and that now that Hector has come at him, he now has sort of he <clears throat> he can say, all right, initiate Plan sixty seven. And maybe it's just to do with um, uh. You know, Hector overstepping his bounds so bad, and, and Gus kind of says, uh, does the boss know about this? You know, just just knowing, well, Hector really went too far, I can get him in trouble for that. I guess it's fine now to segue from Gus into the world of Mike, who is becoming increasingly entangled with Gus, at least insofar as having a couple of scenes with him. But the Mike that we find in this episode is, you know, post his successful attempt to to get Hector's truck stopped at the border when he's sitting at his daughter-in-law's place with uh, Kaylee falling asleep on him on the couch. He's looking off in the distance with this sort of... I mean, I can't tell if there's a specific thing that has has kind of broken him at this moment mm-hmm. or if he's just feeling malaise because what's he doing, you know? he's he, He's got them in this nicer house. He's sort of paying off whatever debt he feels like he had to them. And yet he knows that he's not done... Uh, with some of these other things in his life, like the fact that he is so good at <laughs> sabotage and skullduggery, you know, there's some part of him that I think, I mean, this would be my reading of it, is that he seems like he's wistful about kind of leading a boring life and what's it going to be for me if not the one thing I do well. Right. I didn't know what that was about, but it does seem like one of the few 
theories I could think up is basically what you're saying that that <clears throat> that he's feeling empty like well I just uh, sort of completed my revenge mission and now what am I doing I don't know I'm sort of a lost retiree in this moment uh it's nice to be a granddad here but I'm I don't want that to be all I am uh, maybe but I don't know if that's what his wistfulness is about or not well, I mean, they show him staking out Hector's, and he's seeing the DEA storm the place and carry out boxes of papers and stuff, and he's sort of going, all right, well, that's done. Then he picks up the phone, and he calls Stacy, and she says, I almost didn't recognize the number in that kind of you-don't-call-very-often sort of way, you know? Yeah. And you can tell that he's sort of reconnecting with her after this whole thing. Yeah. And he's letting them back into his life because he's no longer hiding out with you know, looking at someone through a site, deciding whether or not to shoot them or whatever. Right. So to me, it seems like if you follow that emotional through line, it makes sense that that is, yes, very much he's sitting there going, okay, that's over. And yet, why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel more? This technically has gone well. I've successfully helped them and look how happy they are and look how healthy they are. And I can be a granddad. And why can't I just be this old guy who does stuff, you know, mm-hmm. which is why to me it's so touching in a weird way. There's something that happens later after he's gone to Chuck's place, which we'll talk about that in a second, but after he's gone to Chuck's place and he's sitting there in the diner with Jimmy and they're talking about, you know, how it went. Uh, Mike's almost defensive when he says, I did it right. When Jimmy's asking, well, did you actually fix the door or did you just get the photos, you know? Yeah. And Mike says, I did. I did it right. And then he's kind of takes a second and he says, it was nice to fix something for once. Yeah. And then later we see him, I think he's looking at Handyman magazine. <laughs> right. I love that. So there's this nice little through line of maybe he really is sort of settling into being a granddad. Or he could have a tear in his eye because he knows Gus just made me this offer. I'm about to become a very bad man. And oh, what a horrible tragedy this is for this little family. So then Mike goes on his mission to uh, Chuck's and and... Starts fixing the door and everything, and uh, so did you see that coming? Did you see when 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 the door when there was a knock at the door at Chuck's? Did you know that it was going to be Mike standing at the door, or did you? Because right before that, you know, after Kim has ferreted out uh, which contractor was supposed to go to Chuck's place, and they've canceled that, and then they're going to send someone claiming to be from that place, um, and then she says, "You sure you got the right guy?" And he says, "Yeah, he's the creme de la creme," and then it cuts to. Chuck's house and there's a knock at the door. I was like, oh, this is going to be Mike. And I so am waiting for this moment where Mike and Chuck meet. Um, did, did you know before the door opened who it was going to be or were you surprised? Well, it was so, I think it was quite quick from I got the perfect guy to going to. And now we're at the house that, yeah, my mind was just right in sync with the telling of, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking, oh, is it Mike? Yes, it's Mike. You know, uh, so I was only a half a second ahead or something. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I guess maybe I was two seconds ahead. I'm just saying it was a it was a pleasure yeah. that moment. Like I, right. it was one of those moments where you go, oh, wow, I've been waiting for these guys to meet. And I love that now Mike is a little bit closer to being like just involved in shenanigans with Jimmy, that Jimmy calls him up and says, can you do this thing? And Mike says, yeah, I can do this thing. Right. It might be a bit of a uh, quid pro quo because Jimmy did a favor for Mike. Right. It also might be just establishing that now these two guys have each other on speed dial for moments such as this. For whatever reason, Mike has not just decided, I'm going to completely avoid this guy. And Jimmy maybe doesn't know what a compliment that is. Yeah. But uh, with this, it's neat to see the first meeting of uh, Mike and Chuck, and you have to wonder, uh, 
you know that that could be their only meeting through during the entire series or or they could meet again at some point and it has to dawn on Chuck oh the 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 fix it man was this guy but I loved uh, uh, I thought Chuck did the perfect Michael McKean did the, the perfect job as the guy who has a handyman over and then has to sort of awkwardly say okay looks like you're getting started there and I will just uh, I'll I'll be in the next room if you I, I guess I'll go in here and the whole time the handyman is ignoring you I've had this experience many times of that that odd moment of not knowing what to say while you're like okay go ahead and do that and I will be doing my thing well it's especially awkward for me when that happens because I'm like I'm a grown man too and I actually have a power drill uh right here you know I have a I have a, right a, and, and I've got I a lot of the same tools you've got there and yet for some reason I needed you to come to my house to do this so much that we're paying you a lot of money right but the repairman is always able to sort of hold it over you and 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 be like Mike was in that uh, I'm not even going to talk to you right now I'm doing a thing and that you're unable to do well, yeah, it's like there is an element of, I hope this turns out to be what I wanted them to do. You know, it's like getting a haircut or something. At some point, you're turning it over to the professional, and you're just sort of hoping that it was it was better than you doing it yourself. And you have to act sheepish and walk away. Right. Well, yeah, I think that what we, we've talked about this before, that idea of like wanting to tell the whole story to somebody or wanting to have like this interaction with somebody who really just knows what they need to do. Yeah. So like the mechanic. Right. Doesn't need to hear the whole story of your car in order to. Right. All the noises it made. Yeah. And all the times it did and then didn't. And then it was louder one day. And I swear I thought it was gone. And then I went over a speed bump and it got louder for the next week. But then it got yeah. quiet again. You've taken notes. You've logged times. And he just needs to go. We're going to run some tests on it. We'll let you know. Right. He just wants you to leave really bad. Now, whether Mike thought Chuck was haughty or thought he was just like any number of people that Mike might have come into contact with, sort of so-called good or great men who think of themselves as, you know, maybe better than others, but it doesn't mean they're horrible people. I don't know. I don't know what Mike really thought of Chuck, but I did expect there to be some clearer indication of how he felt about it. But uh, it was funny to me that at the diner, he didn't want to give Jimmy the pleasure at all of of gossiping with him. You know, he's, Jimmy right. was like, uh, you can't even dish dirt with this guy. Yeah, yeah. Mike is just a closed book. For some, for whatever reason, I think he's just a pro. He's like, I'm, I'm not here to chit chat. I did the thing you asked me to do. I did a good job. I'm done. So, do we think it's as clean and clear as the pictures are there to show? Chuck's mind state is is maybe unstable. As often on this show, you can take the sort of clue that you're given and wonder what's next. And sometimes what's next is the most sensible, logical thing that they told you it was. So it could yeah. be as sensible and logical as things like the lantern sitting on the paper that could be seen as he's a danger to himself and the property. Um, and he's, you know, he's got these issues. Right. So that might be it. It might be as simple as that. But is there some sort of holy grail? Because there were some things that Jimmy said when he was looking at the pictures that were like, great, great. This this, is, this one's great. Um, and I, I couldn't tell what would be so damning or what would be so great. And I was wondering, is that just something for that scene, or are we going to learn more about that? And the other thing I just want to say before I, I throw it to you is, is that in any way connected to whatever he and Kim are up to with the tape, with whatever was happening, which we'll talk about in a second, but that, do you think they're they're coming at Chuck's mental state as one part of it, and then there's something else going on with the tape, or do you think all this is connected? Like, do you have any clear idea of what their plan is right now, what Jimmy and Kim are trying to set up? Well, you can't know for sure, but I do think that it's straightforward that taking the pictures is just, look, we can show that he's got a kind of a kooky house, that he lives by gaslight, and, and uh, that he's a, 
a, a wacky character, and that just goes to uh, he's crazy. You know, if we if we get in this little uh, hearing to the point where we need to start attacking Chuck, we've got some stuff. We got these pictures of his the way he lives, and we can we can say, look, he's a nut. And uh, but the other thing in there is uh, that he got the address or some th- information from the address book. He said, "Did you get that other thing?" And Mike gives it to him, and he says, "Great." Um, and that was a real teaser that makes me wonder what what in the world is that? The, the contact to uh, Chuck's psychiatrist that that. Uh, Jimmy didn't have or what? I don't know. What if it's a safety deposit box or something like that? Because Chuck said yeah. the cassette tape is, is under, under lock, lock and key. key. Yes. Oh. So it could be that it's locked up somewhere. And now she's saying bingo at the end because she's saying, yes, he does have it and it's off site. So maybe what Mike right. pulled was a number and a and a code or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe so. Where'd you get it? He says the, the address book. Right. And Jimmy gives him a look like, of course. And it made me think like, was that a look that said, of course, my Luddite brother would write down a digital code in his address book or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine what it could be. But if it's not all connected, then as you said, there's no way for us to know yet quite what their angle is. But if their angle is that it was unethical of Chuck to entrap Jimmy in this way by by having a duplicate. Somehow he's admitting some kind of forethought. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's... I mean, I don't know. They've made a point about how this hearing before the bar is going to be different from a regular trial, that like the burden of proof or the burden of uh, evidence being allowable and stuff is, is much more lenient, mm-hmm. Chuck said at the end. So maybe that's a little tease that both sides can kind of fight a little dirtier, maybe. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can just throw a lot of stuff at someone's character uh, uh, or the possibility of a mental problem being... And again, I hate to keep doing this. I don't think the show intends to demonize Chuck's condition, but we do know that it is at least partially psychosomatic. And the extent to which Chuck uses it to sort of lord it over people, I don't Mm -hmm. know that it's intentional or fully intentional, but he definitely has the effect of every situation he goes into, people are before he comes in, having to adjust their behavior and adjust their environment. They have to be deferential to him. Part of me thinks that we're just going to sort of move forward with Chuck as that's part of his character, that he has this extra aspect to him that could be a put-on and could be a real thing, and it just makes him more interesting and complicated as a character. I don't know if the the text of his plot is ever going to be proving or disproving his condition. But who knows? I don't know. I mean, who knows what Jimmy and Kim are trying to do? I mean, the writers have surprised us before with a clever thing that happened off screen, but they showed us all the hints, but not the actual thing, you know? Mm-hmm. They've especially on Breaking Bad, there's certain things that Walt would do that you wouldn't know until it happened what the plan was. Yeah. And there would never quite be enough for you to know exactly what it was, but when you looked back, you would say, "Oh, they kind of did set us up for the specifics. They just didn't tell us, you know. So that's, again, that's part of their storytelling method. Right. I think it would be possible in this uh, hearing before the bar, whatever it is, that, um, you know, they could smear Chuck bad enough that he loses his license. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went that far, at least if they aren't, you know, they got, they're attacking Chuck, I think. I don't think this is just defending Jimmy. No, they're definitely getting ready, at least to be able to if they need to. But, uh, yeah, but you went ahead and jumped to the end, and that is the big question of what's going on. When she says bingo, did she just get Chuck to say just the right thing? Maybe maybe that is it, that when he says, I've got it under lock and key, that that's bingo, that now she knows, yes, indeed, there's a duplicate. But they should have known that anyway, that there's a duplicate. But maybe saying lock and key makes her say, yes, it's a deposit box to Jimmy. But 
it definitely made me think uh, that maybe she was recording him, and, and she's got a tape on him now saying something that they can use in an incriminating way. But uh, I don't know. Here's the thing. I don't picture their plan being to fraudulently edit the tape to make Chuck sound like he's saying something he's not. And I don't know what he said that was so incriminating. The tape's going to be played, according to Chuck, in the in the hearing. So he wants people to hear the contents of the tape, which means it will clear him of the misunderstanding about his him getting the numbers wrong, you know, getting yeah, the dates wrong. Right. Or the, uh, the address wrong. Yeah. And it will then impugn Kim through Jimmy that she was complicit with Jimmy's plan because she is now the beneficiary of that. So it's clear that Chuck is willing to take it as far as he can to to clear his name and to make himself look good. What I wonder is, like, what if they did record him? And I, I'm willing to accept that she's recording him. And by the way, the whole thing about the safety deposit box, I, I'm not even saying that's my theory. Mm-hmm. I just tried to come up with one thing that would unify yeah. the, did you get it? Oh, here it is. Where was it in the address book? Yeah. Bingo. There's a duplicate. I'm trying right. to figure out if those things are all part of the same thing. That's the only thing that makes sense. Right. That's the, that's the it's all staring you in the face. They explained it already, and you're just not accepting it mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. I kind of hope it's not that because I feel like safety deposit box. I don't know. Somehow that feels like uh, almost hackneyed or something for this show. But if they're going to get to the tape, if Kim and Jimmy are going to get to the tape, do they steal the tape? Do they destroy the tape? Or do they um, mess with the tape? Similar to changing the numbers in the documents before, they could change the sound on the tape. And maybe bingo is that she recorded uh, Chuck saying uh, a couple of words that they can transplant with a couple of other words and change the the context. And that could be where they go. But I don't see Kim wanting to fight Jimmy's mistake with a as a, with a bigger mistake where she's now part yeah, of it. And right. I also don't see Chuck not you know Chuck could have made two copies. There's no reason to think that yeah. they would have completely covered their tracks with that one. So I feel like it has to be something better. But again, we've before in the past tried to figure out what they're planning and then it'll end up be, being something very simple. So I'm I'm not trying to overthink it. I, I really more look at that scene now as just an interesting meeting of a bunch of characters. I'll just quickly run down the characters in that scene and kind of where they're at in my mind. Howard, I was a little disappointed to see him basically just being Chuck's uh, lawyer in this scene, you know, that he was, I, I think for the, for the moment he was in, he needed to have this public face of being a little bit, you know, cordial, but chilly with Jimmy and Kim and very professional and very much on Chuck's side. Like, I guess I'm waiting for Howard to show some, uh, mutiny, uh, or signs of mutiny from Chuck's side, but I don't know if we'll ever see that. So I'm rooting for Howard to be more than just, Chuck's boy, mm-hmm. but that might not, you know, it might be that he's just a particularly well-drawn yeah. sort of lackey right. for Chuck. Um, I also thought that uh, Michael McKean was great in a scene where he didn't say a lot either. I think most of what they were trying to do was show that Jimmy and Kim were drawing Chuck and Howard into revealing just how much they want the tape to be entered into this hearing. Uh, that whole thing about damage versus destruction of property and whether the items should be specified or what, whatever, how they should word that. Mm-hmm. Looking back, it was very, you know, they showed us that they knew that that phrase would be the one that Chuck would have questions about. And so yeah. they were analyzing what the wording should be. So it's very, they seem very calculated and willing to look like they are being bested. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a great place to be. I like seeing Jimmy and Kim working together on a scheme. I don't know quite what it is. Um, I thought also in that scene, though, the main thing I wanted to mention was Miss Hay, Miss Kyra Hay. I don't know that they've said her first name, but if you look at IMDb, 
first name is Kyra. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actress that plays her, Kimberly Hebert Gregory, has been popping up in a few things recently. Um, and I just think she was brilliant. I mean, I just think the way that she ran that scene with all these other great actors and characters, and she seems so much like this is a professional person who knows we've got to pass this around, you got to sign this, we got to make these corrections. It just felt, if you've ever been like at the closing of a house mm-hmm. or something like that, yep. where you have all these things to sign, the person who runs that, they know their shit, they've got it down to a routine, they're still warm though, yeah. they're still human, and she's right. just great. She just seems like a total pro. Like there's nothing yet in her character to make us sort of have distaste for her the way we do for Chuck. You know, yeah. Chuck seems to have uh, selfish interests, but she really seems like a person there to do a job. And I sort of hope she sticks around so we can learn a little more about her. But uh, I did think it was kind of something that needled Jimmy and Kim the way she was so deferent to uh, Chuck's condition. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, that's a little bit of a weird place to be, you know, where you're sort of begrudging someone for getting special treatment. But, it, it, you know, it does increasingly seem like it's something Chuck enjoys is the... The, the, just the fact that people have to give him special treatment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, the main thing I took from that scene as well, though, is that Jimmy's apology to Chuck, the kind of forced apology. I don't know if you've ever been forced to apologize to someone, but it is a, it is a, you know, you can really just be as sincere as you want to seem to the world, and and it can be completely sarcastic, and no one can necessarily tell whether you're being sarcastic. Even the person <laughs> receiving the apology can know yeah. that it's a forced apology and therefore it's sarcastic. Yeah. But the more so, so very, very sorry for my horrible, horrible yeah. behavior today. Right. But every word you say that makes it a better apology just makes it sound more sarcastic. So I thought that was great. And I thought the way he was able to get the dig in on Chuck by saying a brother should never do that to his to another brother or whatever. Right. That he was said. A, but like very that was a great dig. Yeah. Um, and there was a subtle thing Michael McKean does when Jimmy says, uh, I shouldn't have done it. And he says, no matter how much I was provoked, Chuck like slumps and like looks at Jimmy like, seriously, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're going to say you were provoked as part of your apology. Yeah. But um, no, I uh, I just thought that was a great uh, little beat that could have turned into a really dramatic moment between the brothers where Jimmy has to apologize to Chuck. But instead, it felt like it was part of the ruse of Jimmy seeming to be heartfelt and not pushing it too hard. And he wasn't too sarcastic. You know, he he was pretty sincere or seem to be. So for all appearances, he and Kim are kind of on the ropes and Chuck's winning. Yep. And I think yeah. that's a that's a cool place to have Chuck if he's going to then, out in the hallway, let something slip out of confidence. I, I don't know. Do you think Chuck has another play or he's thinking ahead of them? Or do you think he is now convinced that he's where he wants to be? This is what he wanted. Things are going his way. Jimmy's going to be disbarred and he won't go to prison. This sounds very fair. I think I've won. I've made my point. Everyone sees I'm right. Do you think he's there? Or do you think he's like... Got his eyes on the prize still. I think he is uh, confidently working hard to, uh, you know, get Jimmy punished in the way that he wants Jimmy punished. And he thinks he's going along and and the show seems to be saying, ah, but, but uh, Jimmy and Kim have something up their sleeve that Chuck doesn't know. But we can never depend on Chuck to not be several steps ahead in the chess game. So he may already be prepared for anything that they bring. Or he may have his own surprises that, that, that they're not looking forward to. You know, I don't know if I have much more than that to, to add about this episode. I think that's a good way to wrap it up. I mean, at the end of the show, we know Mike is on his way to being the Mike we know he's going to be, but he's not there yet. And Gus is on his way to being the Gus that he is going to be, but he's not quite there yet. And Jimmy and Chuck are about to have this big clash, but they're not quite there yet. 
So did you have any other little thoughts or odd notes you wanted to add before we wrap it up? Uh, No, I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about. I just wanted to give one quick nod to uh, something that was sort of a carryover from the previous week. There was a great little moment between Jimmy and Kim when they were in the office and they were editing the document together and she was helping him. And uh, there's just this great shot where he looks at her and you can totally feel the same kind of... uh, Uh, warm fuzzies that they gave us at the end of last week as far as Jimmy appreciating Kim and that she's there for him. And he says, uh, thank you, seriously. And she looks at him and says, you're welcome, seriously. You know, she doesn't want to milk the moment or give him a big dramatic moment, but she is kind of saying, you you, you big lug, of course I'm I'm here for you, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, when when that changes, uh, I don't know. But at the moment, I'm I'm liking that they're at least sort of hinting that there's more camaraderie to come between those two characters. Yeah. And I guess the big thing would be how quickly does it blow up in Kim's face that she's she's counted amongst Jimmy's people by the you know the powers that be. Yeah. Scary. Well, either way, hot talk. Seriously. Hot talk. Seriously. Seriously.